White Elephant Christmas, just a reminder for those of us who would want to be reminded of the context here. In, in ancient Siam, which is modern-day Thailand, um, there was this uh, the story that's told of a king, um, and when, it, when the king uh, was in his court and there was nobles there, and there was particularly an obnoxious noble, and the king wanted to get rid of the noble from his court, what he would do is gift the, the king would gift the noble with a white elephant. And white elephants were rare, and they were considered sacred. And so what would happen is the noble would take this white elephant back to his village, and people would flock to the village to be able to see the white elephant. Um, and because it was considered sacred, uh, people would worship the white elephant, which meant that the noble had to spend a lot of money for upkeep and feeding the white elephant, as well as providing a place for all this viewing to take place. And what it would effectively do for the king is it would keep the noble out of his court. And it would, he'd be so busy having to care for the white elephant that he would be out of the king's hair, so to speak. Um, and so what would happen is the noble would realize this, that he has been removed from the king's court. So what he would do is he would re-gift the white elephant to another noble. And so that's sort of the, the, the genesis of this whole idea of, of white elephant gift giving. Uh, so here in, in, the, in, the, in the Thailand situation, the definition of a white elephant is a white elephant gift is a possession whose cost is out of proportion to its usefulness. Now, it's morphed in our day and age. In our day and age, a, white, a great white elephant gift is one that prompts this question. What am I supposed to do with this? It's so bizarre. It's so strange that you just like, there's no, there's no practical use for this gift. Now, what Brian did last week in his message is he helped us understand from Matthew chapter 1, looking at the genealogy of Jesus, he helped us understand how in Jesus' genealogy, which back in that day would be Jesus' resume, See, if you wanted to present yourself as someone who was qualified, if you wanted to present yourself in a good light, back in that day, your genealogy was proof that you had awesome in your blood. So the more awesome names you have in your past, the more awesome ancestors you have, the more position and status you have. In fact, probably even today, you hear people talk about their ancestors and how they're famous people that they're connected to. Because there's just something fun about that. Yet, when you read the genealogy of Jesus, you see the resume of Jesus, as Brian pointed out so well. You see that the genealogy of Jesus is filled with sketchy characters. Prostitutes. Murderers. Adulterers. And so why, why would at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, why would you get this resume of Jesus that's so filled with sketchy characters? Here's why. Because grace is simply not a New Testament concept. Grace has, has existed in, in, in God himself. And the genealogy is a history of grace. And when you think about how God thinks of you, if you have this conclusion, well, God is looking at me like I'm a white elephant gift. I mean, he probably sees all the things that are wrong with me, and he has this question in his mind that's simply like this. What am I supposed to do with him? What am I supposed to do with her? Because we see our imperfections. We see our brokenness. And we try to hide it so we can fit in and belong. But what we have in the gospel story is a God who willingly associates himself with the broken. 
A God who, who eagerly wants to be friends with people who will simply admit their brokenness. In fact, some of you who have been coming to Satan Alliance, you haven't officially crossed the line of faith yet. And let me just say that this is a great season. This is a great opportunity for you to join the family. It's, it's a dysfunctional family. It's not perfect. We're all in the process of transformation. And here's the deal. We're not good people. As Rod told us several weeks ago, we're rescued people. We've been rescued by Christ. So any one of us who simply says, yeah, I'm broken and I need forgiveness, and we understand that Christ, through the cross, we'll celebrate Easter and the message of the cross and the empty tomb, but through the forgiveness that's on the cross, we can have our brokenness healed we can come alive in Christ and now walk in the way of Christ, leaving the old life behind, walking in the new life. And that's, that's repentance. And that's, that's how you join the family. For so, so for some of you, this Christmas season, it's time for you to join the family. You don't have to get all perfect and all dolled up in order to, to join the family. Jesus associates himself with broken people. Now, man, that was Brian's message, such a great job of that last week. And what I want to do is by looking at Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1, I want, to, I want to show you that not only God looks at us and doesn't see us as white elephant gifts, although we struggle with that, I want to show you, I want to introduce you to the God who gives us white elephant gifts. There are these white elephant moments in our lives where, where circumstances come our way, where our first response is, what am I supposed to do with this? Now, I have this box here, and I've got some, uh, some white elephant gifts uh, in it that uh, I've purchased and I've collected over the years. Um, here are a few of them. I've got a, a pair of socks that are like uh, blue Converse shoes that are usually little babies have these. Thought about preaching in these this weekend, uh, but I got to wear that sweater next week, and that's a little too much. Uh, I got a deck of cards that um, that are have like these 3D cats on them that you know you, you kind of turn it and the cat moves or does stuff. For some people, that might be useful. Um, I've got a, an inflatable uh, unicorn horn. Uh, apparently, what you do is you inflate this, and you can wear it, or you can have your dog wear it and uh, look like a unicorn. And then on the back side, it has like these, the, the unicorn code. It says, um, unicorns never cheat. Unicorns don't talk to strangers. Unicorns are never late. Unicorns graze on peace and love, and on and on it goes. Who knew? Um, this is a, a, a white elephant gift. It's, it's a white rabbit. Um, um, you know, actually, this is more useful than you think. I mean, true story. I didn't tell the other services this, but uh, we, have, we have a chicken one, too. And Trina and I put these on. They got little holes for your eyes to see out. And we, we drove down to McDonald's wearing these things. <laughs> Um, and uh, we rented a Redbox movie, and I'm, I'm, picture this, I'm standing at Redbox getting my movie, and it just so happens that out of McDonald's walks about 10 middle schoolers. And um, so imagine you're seeing a guy, you know, working on Redbox, and then you come out, and the head just turns and looks at you, <laughs> and then goes back and gets the movie. Yeah, freaky. Um, dysfunctional family, I told you, right? Now, before this next uh, white elephant gift I want to show you, a little, little context. 
Uh, my son uh, married uh, a great gal named Alex this summer. Uh, they actually dated for a lot of years. And uh, several years ago, Alex, uh, Trina's and my new daughter-in-law, um, uh, she came to a white elephant Christmas party at our, our family, at our family's, our, my parents' house. And so, you know, there's all these strange things that prompt the question, what am I supposed to do with this? And, and it comes her time to open her gift. Now, uh, my niece, Kayla, has wrapped a gift, and, 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 and Alex is unwrapping it. And uh, this is what she unwraps. <laughs> she unwraps a mannequin head. Actually, this is a mannequin head from like a, a hairstylist a salon where they, they train uh, people how to do hair and all that kind of important stuff. Um, and it's actually real human hair, which is freaky. Um, <laughs> so Alex gets this gift, and she's like, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? It was kind of a funny moment, but, you know, white elephant gift. You either save the white elephant gift for another party or you get rid of it. Um, but about two weeks later... Um, uh, it's late at night, and uh, Trina makes a trip to the kitchen, and she's going to get something out of the refrigerator. <laughs> you know where I'm going, right? So she, it's uh, 10 o'clock at night. She goes to the refrigerator, and she opens the door, and there on the top shelf next to a gallon of milk is this head. <laughs> and she screams, uh, which frankly is not unusual in our house, so I just am... Um, laying in bed and you know she's screaming at something and, she, and she's like you know Steve you gotta, you gotta come see this you gotta come see this and so I go look and I open the refrigerator door and there's this head it's like that's that's pretty crazy that's uh, awesome so, and, so Trina we, we take the head and Alex is over at our house uh, some weeks later and we're playing games one night and while you know it's dark out while they're playing games in the house Trina sneaks out and she puts the head in Alex's car uh, now, uh, you know, just imagine for a moment what it would be like to sit at your steering wheel, adjust the rearview mirror, and see these eyes. <laughs> Pretty awesome, huh? <laughs> so Alice gets the head, and then so a couple weeks later, Trina's climbing into bed. She pulls back the covers. Guess whose head is on her pillow? <laughs> that. And so then we're like, you know what? Let's, let's just take this a different direction. I said, let's, let's do this. Uh, my son, Cal, was still living at home, and so what we did is we waited, Trina and I waited for him to go to bed, and we knew he was getting up, you know, obviously getting up early in the morning to do, do work and school, and um, so after he went to bed, we took the mannequin head, and I uh, went into Cal's bathroom, and I, I very carefully laid the head in his toilet. <laughs> Shut the lid. In the morning... Teresa, welcome to St. Lions Church, by the way. I mean, that's... Um, so, in the morning, Trina and I are having a, a, a cup of coffee and, you know, of course, reading our Bibles and what you're supposed to do in the morning, right? And uh, we're, we're waiting for Cal to get up. And sure enough, we hear the door open and we're, we're already starting, we're trying to hold ourselves from laughing because we know what's about to happen. Cal is sort of thumping his way down the hallway. He opens the bathroom door and we hear this, like, yelp, like, oh my gosh! And he comes out and he goes, you guys are ruthless! <laughs> And let me tell you something, that thing works so well that this head has been on staff retreats, it's been on senior, senior leadership team retreats. In fact, 
you know Barbara Fletcher. Uh, we, we call her St. Barb around here on staff. And Barbara has even borrowed the head and put it in, in a shower to scare uh, people. This, this white elephant gift that first prompted the question, what am I supposed to do with this? This, this question of usefulness has now been transformed and people lining up saying, can I borrow that next? Because the gift is very useful. Now, some of you are wondering, how in the world are you going to go from that to the Christmas story? Hey, here, here's the point of all this. Our God is a God who gives white elephant gifts. We have experiences, we have moments in our lives when we, we, we say, God, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond to this? What am I supposed to do now? I was talking to someone after the first service uh, this morning who said, you know, his company is downsizing and he might find out next week if he has a job. Some of you are here today. You've been in a situation where you ask the question, God, what am I supposed to do with this? And you've seen how God has taken something that seemed uh, apparently useless and it's been very useful in your journey with Christ. And, and some of you are at this point today, that's the question you're asking. And for some of us, it'll be, it'll be in the future. But what I want to do is I want to show you in the Christmas story the God who gives white elephant gifts. I want to show you two white elephant gifts that God will give. He'll give one to Mary and one to Joseph. And their response will be, what? In fact, you're going to see with Joseph, he's going to want to re-gift the mannequin head. He's going to want to re-gift his white elephant gift because he, he's questioning the usefulness of his situation. But what you're going to do, what I want to do is show you these two white elephant gifts and then we're going to talk practical implications for us here today. We're going to go some 2,000, we're going to go back 2,000 years in time to a Christmas story and then we're going to come bring it up to December 2014, Salem, Oregon. And we're going to talk about the practical implications for our white elephant moments. So if you got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to take the head, put it over here. She's watching. Um, and I want to read to you uh, the story as it's told by Luke. And by the way, uh, the gospel of Luke, the, the passage I'm going to be reading is on page 1612. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible with you. Luke's perspective on the Christmas story, scholars believe, comes from, uh, from, from Mary's perspective. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, why it kind of gives some different details is because you know, most theologians believe that uh, Matthew's source of information is Joseph. So you're getting two sides of this. So Luke is for the Mary perspective, Matthew is more the Joseph perspective. So uh, Luke chapter 1, I want to uh, pick it up in verse 26. And we'll identify this first white elephant gift. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Let me just hit the pause button there. For some of you, that's the one thing the Holy Spirit wanted to say to you today. In your situation, in your predicament, in your struggle, the Holy Spirit is saying to you, Nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. The white elephant gift that that, uh, God gives to Mary is simply this. It's an unplanned pregnancy. It's the white elephant gift of an unplanned pregnancy. Now, some of you know what that feels like. You know the shock. You know the surprise. Some of you know somebody who experienced an unplanned uh, pregnancy. I have a cousin. Her name is Wendy. She's married uh, to, to Bobby, and uh, they had three kids, and, uh, and then Bobby took measures to sort of keep his family that size, and about two months later, uh, Wendy was pregnant, not with one child, but with two. They expected twins. Okay, did the women groan. The guys were like, what's the big deal? Uh, well... <laughs> Going from three to five, um, well, I won't explain it to you guys, but that you know, can understand, that, that's, that's quite, that's, that's shocking. But that's, that's nothing like the shock for Mary. Yes, it's shocking, I'm, I'm pregnant, but in order to understand what Mary is feeling, you have to understand context. You, got, you, need, to, you need to understand the historical context. Because we read a, a scripture like it's found in Luke chapter one, and we read these words, and they sound so beautiful and sweet and um, and, and I am the Lord's servant, maybe, maybe unto me as you have said. And, and we like, that's great. We read this every Christmas. Isn't that great that Mary did that? And you need to understand the courage that would, that would be just embedded in those words that Mary is saying. A couple things you need to know. First thing you need to know is the process of a Jewish wedding ceremony. A Jewish wedding ceremony has three C's. You have a contract you have the consummation of the marriage, and then you have the celebration. It would be in that order. So what would happen is if Joseph is going to marry Mary, he would come to Mary's house, and he would have a conversation with Mary's father. And there would be an agreed-upon contract. There would be a bride price that would be paid. And the father would do the negotiating with, uh, with Joseph. And when they agreed on what the terms of the contract would be, the terms would then be shared with Mary. And if Mary agreed, then Mary and Joseph would exchange vows. And once the vows were exchanged, Mary Mary would then drink a cup of wine, and the, the, the contract would be sealed. It would be agreed upon. This, in our setting, this is when the marriage license is signed. Okay, right here, from the very beginning. The, the marriage is official. Now, there's going to be a process here, but Joseph, when he leaves, he, his, he's leaving his wife behind. He is betrothed now, and, and he, Joseph and Mary are considered married. When Joseph leaves the household of Mary and, his, and her father, he will say to Mary, I am going away to prepare a place for you. 
I'm going to my father's house and I'm gonna prepare a place. He literally will go to his dad's house and there'll be a part of that home that he will prepare a place for him and Mary to live. And then when that is ready, he will come back and get Mary. Now, Mary does not know her wedding date. It will be a surprise to her. She has an idea of when it will happen, but she doesn't know the exact date. So Joseph will leave, and, and, and he's looking, he's preparing for the day when the marriage will be officially consummated. It, it seems a little bit awkward to talk about, but that actually happens at the wedding ceremony, and the ceremony will become a celebration that will last at least a week. It could last a couple weeks. In fact, if you know the story as it's told in John chapter 2, the story of where Jesus turns the water into wine, that wedding celebration was at least a week, and it was so long that they ran out of wine, which is why Mary goes to Jesus and says, do something. So the process of a Jewish wedding is contract consummation celebration. It's quite, uh, quite different from, from our uh, traditions. And so the reason I even sp- spell that out for us is because when Gabriel comes to Mary, it's in between contract and consummation. So this, it's right, it's in, in this timing here. And so she is to remain faithful to her husband. She's married. But then she gets a white elephant gift. Mary, you're going to be pregnant. And the Holy Spirit is going to hover, hover over you and create in you a supernatural life, much like the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of the earth at creation, making something out of nothing. This same Holy Spirit is going to hover over you, and you will be pregnant with Jesus, and he will be called the Son of God. So you need to understand that process. And the second thing you need to understand is the social stigma that would, be, what would come from being pregnant before the, the actual celebration, now, in our, our day and age, you know, that we've become quite used to that, and that's, that's not all that shocking for us. That's another sermon. But in this message, it, it's, it's, this is going, you are going to stick out like a sore thumb. This is going to cause significant social stigma. And for Mary, her life is in danger. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 through 24. This is the Mosaic law. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married, that, that's Mary, And he sleeps with her. You shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help. And the man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. Now, it it sounds brutal. It it is very, you know, very strict and, and harsh. But you need to understand that in this context... Mary is between contract and consummation. That's when Gabriel comes. So when she says these words from Luke chapter 1, I am the Lord's servant, may it be unto me as you have said, it isn't just simply some sweet and beautiful statement that she says. It it, it is beautiful, but it's in the context of great risk to her own safety to say, I'm in. And she's been given a white elephant gift. She has no idea how this is going to play out. She only has the words of an angel. And she has the white elephant gift of an unplanned pregnancy. We'll talk implications here in a few moments. But let's look at Joseph's white elephant gift. And we, look, we find that in Matthew chapter 1. So just flip back some pages uh, to Matthew. Matthew's gospel is the first gospel. Uh, you will find uh, that on page 1,514. Um, actually, I'll pick it up on the top of 1,515. Now, this is, 
This is the, the birth of Christ from more of Joseph's perspective. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hit the pause button there. Joseph, between contract and consummation, the, the, the angel showed up and now she's pregnant. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Mary's white elephant gift is an unplanned pregnancy. Joseph's white elephant gift is a pregnant fiance. And wouldn't you have loved to see the video replay of that conversation between Joseph and Mary? Mary coming up to Joseph and saying, I got bad news and I got great news. I know, you know, we're in between contract and all that's supposed to come, but I, I got to tell you, I'm pregnant. But calm down. Don't, don't be upset. I haven't slept with anyone. I haven't committed adultery. Here's how it went down. An angel appeared to me and told me that the Holy Spirit was going to hover over me and I was going to conceive and I was going to be pregnant and it was going to be a pregnancy that, well, it's, it's God's son, Joseph. And, and that's why I'm pregnant. And I think Joseph would have said, in all honesty, I think he would have said, wait a minute, that's the story you worked up? <laughs> that, that's what you're coming here with? You're pregnant and God is the father? He doesn't buy it. He's not convinced. But Joseph is a righteous man. And his righteousness is manifested by things like mercy and grace. You know when relationships go bad, things can get pretty vocal and there's bitterness involved and it can, it can get pretty public. Joseph doesn't want it to go public because he knows that Mary's life could be at risk. So what he does is he chooses to quietly divorce her, quietly tear up the contract because in that day and age, to attach yourself to a woman who is pregnant before the, the rest of the, the marriage ceremony would, to, would be to taint your reputation. You would disassociate with anything that was unrighteous. That was the way it was in that day. And so Joseph is going to do this. But then at some point in time, he's sleeping one night, and an angel of the Lord comes to him in his sleep and says, Joseph, son of David. Which is really interesting that the angel says that. Because what he's saying is, Joseph, you're part of something big. There's been things going on that you don't even know about, that you don't even remember. You're connected to David. There's something going on in this situation. Right now, Joseph, you feel like you've been given a mannequin head, but let me tell you something. 
There's something beautiful going on. And right now, Joseph, I know you want to re-gift this white elephant gift. You want to tear up the contract. But let me tell you something. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid of a perceived tainted reputation. Isn't it deeply ironic from the life of Jesus that the one who, uh, well, the one who in Joseph and Mary's life, once this, this marriage becomes official, that people in the village of Nazareth, people who are friends of Joseph and Mary, were probably whispering behind their backs as they were raising this child that appeared to be born in sin. But how deeply ironic that the child that appeared to be born in sin would be the child who would grow, who would take away our sin. And Joseph is hearing from an angel. And you know, just because you hear from God doesn't mean the story's over. You've been there. God says something, you feel the prompting, and now it's going to take courage to follow the prompting, right? I mean, Joseph is at a crossroads. Do I take Mary to be my wife? What are people going to think? This could hurt my business. This could hurt my reputation. This could have ramifications that plays out over the years. But God sent an angel. This gift of a pregnant fiance does not make sense. But Joseph says these words in Matthew chapter one. He wakes up and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took Mary as his wife. Obedience without hesitation. He has a, he has a word from the Lord and he acts on it. Now, two white elephant gifts, an unplanned pregnancy and a pregnant fiance. Let's, let's travel in time now to Salem current day, December 2014. What are the implications for us today? Because you're here, and perhaps you're here today, and you're having one of those moments where you're saying, what am I supposed to do? How is this supposed to resolve? What good could come out of this? What's gonna happen? What am I supposed to do with this? Let me just, let's just take our clues from Mary, because Mary's response is simply to trust. She trusts. Now, I think I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you have no idea about my situation. You don't know what's going on. You don't know the pain. You don't know the sense of betrayal. You don't know the struggle. It's not that easy to trust. And I'm not saying it's, it's easy to trust. But what I am saying is that when you find yourself in a white elephant moment, it's a call to trust. And and Mary's response is, is really quite, it's, there's a lot to learn from her response because her response is simply this, I am the Lord's servant, Luke chapter one. It'll show up on the screen. I am the Lord's servant's servant. May it be unto me as you have said. She knows who she is and she knows who God is. Friends, here is our struggle when we have the white elephant gift that's been given to us. We look through our wisdom. We think things through through, uh, through advice other people give us. We try and have this collective wisdom to make a decision about what we're supposed to do. And, and Mary, Mary knows who she is and she knows who God is. And our problem when it comes to trust is that what we have a distorted view of who we are and our God is too small. See, God, if we're six foot, God's six one. I mean, he's a little bit bigger than us. I mean, he's bigger, granted, but 
He's just a little bit bigger. If, if you scored 1,100 on the SAT, he scored 1,200. If you're the VP, he's the president. See, God is just a little bit bigger. And what we have forgotten is the God who is described by the pages of Scripture. The God who we're told by in Isaiah chapter 40, who measured off the heavens with a hand span, and who placed stars in the heavens, and, and has a name for each and every one of them. Try that something. Go out and look at the stars and imagine God measuring it off with his hand span and all those stars having individual names and God named them. You can do it in July. It'll take a while before the skies are clear. But about July, you'll be able to do it. And we also forget that there's a God who holds the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. We forget that, the God, that we have a God who measured, who's weighed the earth on scales. Who, who mountains melt in his presence. So friends, the question is, how big is your God? Because if you have a small God and you have a white elephant gift, trust becomes a significant issue because you do not see him as creator and sustainer and supreme. You do not understand that he sees all, he knows all, he knows the future and he knows what's best for you and, and best of all, he likes you. He loves you. But we like to call the shots. And we think we're pretty sharp. Bernard of Clairvaux captures this dilemma when he says, he who is his own master is a scholar under a fool. Read that again. He who is his own master, she who is her own master is a scholar under a fool. It's both male and female. What happens is we think we're bright enough, we know best, and so when God speaks, we don't trust. Here's an example of thinking you're smarter than you are. Several years ago, I went to cut down a Christmas tree with my son, Chase. We cut the tree down. We had a car at that time. I didn't have a truck, and so I tied the tree to the top of my car. Rolled the windows down, ran rope through, tied that, that tree on top. And then went over to get in the car, pulled the handle, realized I had roped the door shut. <laughs> and my son's esteem for me was just lowering right in front of my eyes. We've, we've all done something like that. and we've, I'm smarter than that. Trust me. I should know that. But that's the limitations in our wisdom and our knowledge. We... We think we're smarter. We think we know best. And when we do, we're a scholar under a fool. It's a call to trust. And God will use white elephant moments in our lives to grow our trust in him and deepen our faith in him. What we learn from Joseph's white elephant gift of a pregnant fiance is simply the word obey. He wants to re-gift Mary. He wants nothing to do with this situation but when he has the angelic visitation, he obeys without hesitation. He takes Mary as his wife, despite the social stigma that will come with it, despite the looks, despite the whispers, he takes Mary as his wife, and he will be the earthly father to Jesus. He obeys. Luke chapter one captures the story. Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to obedience, God consistently asks us to do things that are counterintuitive. 
He says, march around a city and you'll see the walls fall down. He says, sell all you have and give it to the poor. He says to us, you want to save your life? Lose it. He, he's, his ways are not our ways. And so when he asks us to do something, it makes no sense at all. What we need to understand that is he is God and he knows all and sees all. He can be trusted and it's a call to obedience. And that takes courage. Christianity is not easy believism. It's sacrifice at the heart of Christianity. And so Joseph, this is a call to obedience, but you know what? We'd rather give the orders. Francis of Sales uh, captures this with this quote. He says, naturally, we all have an inclination to command and a great aversion to obey. And yet it is certain that it is more for our good to obey than to command. Great souls have always had a great affection for obedience. That last line gets me every time. Great souls. What's your description of a great soul? Often it's like, you know, it's accomplishing great things. It's being in charge. It's calling the shots. What Francis is getting at here is great souls have a great affection for obedience because there's trust in a God that is known to be good, who knows all and sees all, even in the moments in which we say, what am I supposed to do with this? Now what? And some of you are there this morning. And God is calling you to take steps of trust. It will take courage. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's a call to obedience. And that may put you at risk. It may take steps that just completely confound you. But our God who gives great white elephant gifts gives them for our good because he likes and loves us. One last question on the screen. It's a question for us just to respond to. Anytime you hear the word of the Lord, I think it's important we ask the question, Jesus, what are you saying to me? I want you to just take that question, bow your head, close your eyes, and would you just spend a few moments just listening to the Spirit's voice, the same Spirit who hovered over the waters of the earth, the same Spirit who hovered over Mary and created something beautiful out of nothing. The same Spirit has something, the Spirit of Jesus has something to say to you.